back to another episode of Screen Talks Podcast. I hope you enjoy your time with us. Are you an aspiring filmmaker? Do you love film? Or are you new to filmmaking? Screen Talks is the podcast for you. It is full of inspirational, informative, and fun talks with other filmmakers about their projects and their journeys. Screen Talks is part of the Independent Film Creative Hub based in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hosts Luis Cabrales and Desiree Zelinsky founded the Independent Film Creative Hub which is geared to help filmmakers reach their potential in becoming successful creative artists. And I'm so glad you can join us for another episode of our Screen Talks. Uh, we have very exciting events coming up in Northeast Pennsylvania. One in particular is the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival, which will be happening on April 12th through 14th, hosted by the Waverly Community House in partnership with WBIA. It's a great event. Um, I'm a part of the committee there and it's a wonderful film festival to be a part of, especially in Northeast Pennsylvania, to come and see films from across the area and the country and internationally, and supporting local filmmakers as well. Uh, tickets are available to purchase if you would like to attend the festival, if you go to nipafilmfestival.com. But for tonight's episode, we had a guest host as well with Tony Susie. Um, we had a pleasure of speaking with Greg Lamerson in 2024 marks Greg Lamerson's 40th anniversary, 40th year as an independent filmmaker. He has produced and directed nine feature films, including Slime City and Killer Rack, has had 15 books published, and has worked on such cult films as I Was a Teenage Zombie, Plutonium Baby, Brain Damage, and Model Hunger. He's a member of the Producers Guild of America and teaches screenwriting at the University of Buffalo. Fangoria has called him the best... Fangoria has called him the busiest man in horror, and he is the best man in horror. But we had Tony and I had a wonderful time chatting with Greg, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, everyone. Hope everyone's having a wonderful week day today, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Scranton Talks. If you don't know who I am, my name is Desiree Zelinsky, and I am the co-founder of the Independent Film Creative Hub. I'm also the founder of NEPA Film Society, which is a local filmmaking community here in Northeast Pennsylvania, as well as the organizer of the Mystery Box Film Challenge with the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival. And thank you all so much for joining us tonight. And we have our guest host tonight with us, Tony Susie. Hello, all. My name is Tony Susie. I'm a local filmmaker, designer, digital artist, do, do a little bit of everything and in the filmmaking realm do some writing, directing, producing, et cetera, a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm filling in a little for Luz tonight. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this episode. So, yeah, we're really excited to bring you, you know, another Scranton Talks episode through the social media platforms. Um, currently, we're live uh, on a couple of different platforms at the moment um, and through our independent film creative hub network. Make sure you sign up at ourcreativehub.com to stay up to date on local projects, you know, connect with local filmmakers and collaborate on projects together. You know, this community uh, that, that Luz and Desiree are building is for you guys, and I've been a part of it for years, so, you know, only you can help it grow, though, so sign up, and it's free and easy, and it, it it's really great, especially with, like, all the film meetups that are going on. Is that quarterly, uh, Desiree? Uh, every three months, but nice, just, yeah. the next one should be in April. So like all those kinds of events are really great because then you get to meet fellow like-minded filmmakers, see what they're working on, see personalities come together and help out with projects. Yeah. And there's like a great events always happening in this area. And a couple, um, one event in particular is the Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival that's happening on April 12th to the 14th. 
Um, it's hosted by the Waverly Community House in partnership with WBIA. And this is really an event um, you don't want to miss. It's all about promoting cultural awareness and appreciation for film as an art form um, with the ever popular Mystery Box Film Challenge that will be showing there on Saturday night. Um, tickets are available now to attend the festival if you're interested in going. Um, you can go to nepafilmfestival.com. You can get an all-access pass to see everything that weekend, or you can go to a particular block on Sunday or Saturday. So it's a really great and fun time to network and see films and enjoy the area. Yeah, some great events happening in the area. It, and it is, it, the, the film festival is really exciting. Me and Desiree are both involved with it. I've, I've been involved with the screening and organizational committee. And like the the lineup is going to be, we just kind of, solidify the the films and where they're going to go and there's a lot of great stuff from not only uh local and regional filmmakers which is fantastic because we try and really put them in the forefront but there's also some you know national and even international films in there so we're hoping to get a lot of uh people to come out for the audience wise but also filmmakers so it'll be it'll be good it'll be a really great lineup and uh an exciting exciting time for the area as well as like local filmmakers and such so but tonight we have a very we're very excited because we have a producer, director, and writer by the name of Greg Lamberson. We're pleased to say that, you know, 2024 marks Greg's 40th year as an independent filmmaker. And he produced and directed nine feature films, including Slime City and Gardens of Eden, as we, or Guns of Eden, as we just saw. So he's published 15 books, had works that are in a wide array of things, even cult films like I Was a Teenage Zombie, Plutonian Baby, Brain Damage, and Model Hunger. So uh, we're Pleased to introduce Greg here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It is great to be back again for the first time. <laughs> there we yeah. go. But yeah, Greg, maybe I'll start kicking us off. Um, I know you've been into teaching screenwriting at the University of Buffalo, which was an aspect of your career. Um, what do you find most rewarding about teaching and how does it inform your creative work? So I've been teaching under a year. I taught last semester. I'm teaching this semester. Different sets of kids, both uh, students, not kids, both times because uh, it's only a semester-long class. Um, very rewarding. You know, I'm, uh, I've been at this 40 years. So if you do math, I started when I was 19. I'm 59 now, going on 60. I'm not over the hill by any means. I have a lot I want to do. Yeah. Um, but as I go into what I consider the uh, the last act of the career, anyways, I'm trying to divide my time between uh, my own projects and paying it forward and mentoring people. Teaching is, is certainly part of that um, and doing it formally in the classroom setting has really been a positive experience for me. I wouldn't say it's informed my work at all. But it's the exact opposite. I think my work is, is what informs the teaching and what frankly, makes me a somewhat valuable teacher because I have a lot to offer with all those years of experience. Yeah, and so what other things do you do besides teaching that you want to pay it forward? So, um, I have run a film festival for 13 years. I'm doing the 14th year coming up. It's always been a week-long film festival, so I've been able to show a lot of local films in addition to the international and the national, and I've had a pretty good track record of people from out of state and out of the country attending, um, but doing the full schedule allows me to really uh, present the work of, of local artists, and, and I hold mine in a movie theater, so it's always on a big screen, and I think that's an, an important experience uh, 
not just for young filmmakers, but first time filmmakers. I mean, there's lots of people who get into it, you know, when, when they retire, they start playing around with cameras and getting involved in the community. <laughs> um, so the film festival is certainly an aspect of it. Uh, the second trailer you showed, Guns of Eden, was a movie that we did during the pandemic. I wrote that script back in 1996 and put it in a drawer because I didn't think I could ever do anything that big when I lived in New York City. Getting out to the woods, having all these people is just too uh, challenging a task. Never yes. thought I was going to make it. But 90% of the script takes place outdoors. So when the pandemic happened, I mean, I was really fidgety to make another movie. I dusted it off. And I crowdfunded that one. And when you crowdfund, of course, you need a lot of volunteers. And instead of just taking film school students and making them free production assistants, I did a full curriculum with them where I would rotate them among different positions. I would hold up shooting to, to give little lessons. Yeah. And a lot of those people now are, are getting involved in the community. It's It's been tough here, number one, because of the pandemic. Number two, because we had a reduction in our state tax credit. Wow. So we had really built our film community up uh, over a period of about 10 years. And we were really on the cusp of things just exploding for us. We got hit by the double whammy. You know, in any state, when you lower the tax credit, productions just stopped coming. And that's what happened. Yeah. So that, along with the uh, the pandemic and then the strikes, is just one thing after another. And a lot of people, our people have been uh, leaving to find work. So what I, what I did was I used that as sort of a training ground for new people. And I'm doing that with the, the class, too. I've, I've taken some of the students uh, on set visits of productions that uh, people I've mentored have produced. Um, I just shot a proof of concept for the next film I plan to do. And I had six of them on that. And I did the same thing, you know, teaching them what you need to know to be a production assistant so that when production gears up here and has already started, yeah. they're qualified to step into those roles. So um, also we have uh, I, sort of a pet project of mine is specifically reaching out to and kind of mentoring female filmmakers because I've, I've seen the, the imbalance yeah. Um, between the number of women on set and the women not. My wife co-produces my films with me. On my my previous film, Widow's Point, which was about a haunted lighthouse, we set out to have a crew that was 50% male, 50% female. It just wasn't possible. But we did have a third. A third of them were female. And uh, our set photographer, who's a woman, actually said, wow, I've never been on a set like this before. So it just goes to show that if you make an effort, that's something that, that can happen. And uh, there's four or five... Um, ladies here who have shown that they have what it takes to make a feature film. One of them was in high school when she made her first feature. Oh, wow. it, it's not that I'm, you know, shepherding their careers or anything like that. These are specifically people who have shown that they would be doing it with or without my help. But just because of my experience, I'm, I offer uh, counseling advice and set visits uh, to any, anything that they need. And uh, my wife and daughter run a women's film festival was going into its second year, which is only films directed by women. So it's sort of a, sort of a family. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a family affair. What What are the names of the two film festivals so people can find out about them? So my film festival has undergone a couple of name changes because I've changed partners. So right now it's uh, going to be the first year under the name Amazing Fantasy Fest, and it's sci-fi, horror, action. Uh, for the local artists, I'll show anything, quite honestly. 
Um, it used to be called Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. And every year of the 10 years that we ran, we made Film Freeway's list of top 100 rated festivals. So we, I mean, I've had some success, but you change the name because my partner has started his own business and he just doesn't have time for it anymore. Yeah. You change the name and as far as anything's concerned, you're still a first year festival. So it's still the same thing as starting over from scratch. Uh, the festival that my wife and daughter run is called Valkyrie International Film Festival, and they're going into their second year uh, in a few weeks. So they'll be holding their event, and theirs runs five days. That's fantastic. You've had, like, a mentor to, like, your students. And what do they – have they been – if you have students that are like, I definitely want to get into this after I get out of school with, like, going on set – well, the, the thing about the college that I work at, University of Buffalo, is it doesn't have a film program per se. It has a media program, which is a whole broader, different, not a specific type thing. I have one of the only actual film production oriented classes, even though it's screenwriting. I, I do teach them a lot about how to get into the, the film production end of things, how to get onto sets. I try to make it um, a much broader spectrum than just how to do the basics of screenwriting. Some of them want to go forward, some don't. Um, I'm encouraging, like just today, I, I told them all, you know, you're going to come out of this college and you need a job. And why not start out as a production assistant and get some experience on sets, build some relationships, because that can lead to things. You're going to need a job anyways, instead of going to work for Geico or, or a company like that, nine to five, and being too tired to write when you get home, try the freelancing for a year work on a, a few films for a few months and then have the months in between those productions where you can write unencumbered and, and just focus on your writing. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I know some of them are going in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. You are the ones who are interested in possibly pursuing a career in the film industry. They feel like they need to leave New York. So you, know, you brought up the tax credits and Pennsylvania has its own here. If you're, I don't know if you're very familiar with your New York, tax credits, but they are very important if people don't understand. Like we have the Pennsylvania Film Industry Association that spearheads that with Harrisburg for Pennsylvania side. We want to elaborate a little bit on New York's tax credit reform. So um, we're aware of how much work is done in Pittsburgh. That's a city that I yeah. think we emulate in a lot of ways. Uh, and I'll say that although they reduced the tax credit, they saw what a mistake it was. Now they've upped the tax credit. And they've added a component they never had before, which is now um, it used to just apply to below the line costs. So it would be crew, hotels, food, location, fees, all that stuff. But it didn't include writer fees, director fees, producer fees or actor fees. Now it includes above the line. So all that stuff's included, too. So it's literally the most aggressive tax credit in the country right now. And the production and there's a 10 percent bump if they shoot in Western New York. That's what makes it the most aggressive threat. I'm Western New York in Buffalo. Okay. So we already have Fred Olin Ray just wrapped a Christmas film here. Now Bill Fickner, who's from my town, he is going into production on a union film. So we had one non-union film, one union film. And I know that by summer, we're going to be working a lot. Um, I'm not particularly interested in working on other films that come to town. I did that for, for many years. I really want to concentrate on my own films. And I do a lot of... Uh, freelance screenwriting for independent filmmakers. You know, it's low paying screenwriting, but it's work I can do at home and that's satisfying in its own way. Mm -hmm. How do you, uh, how do you approach kind of the work, the writer for hire aspect? Like do you work with the producers, a director, somebody who just has an idea for a story who's going to produce it? 
what's the process of like work for hire? You know, right over the years, I've had a number of people just approach me out of the blue, including from other countries, because they were fans of my first film, Slime City, of all things. Which, when I look at that film, it's like a, a film school project to me. It's how I learned to do things. Um, case another instance would be my good friend Tim O'Hearn, who was on here a few weeks ago, who produced Showdown in Yesteryear. In that case, Tim has been an actor in quite a few of my films, and in my festival, shown some of his shorts. I once broached to him the idea of us doing a Western together. And I, but the caveat was, I said, you know, if you can just raise 150,000, we can do this and I'll make you the star. And yeah, but I can't raise 150,000. But he did do a short, the, the short film, which was called The Door. And we showed it at my festival and I thought it was great. And right when stuff started shooting, shutting down at the pandemic, and I didn't know how I, I was going to make any money, um, he said, would you like to write this feature? Yes, he knows that I love Westerns. I would never write a Western on my own because I would feel compelled then to try and produce it. And producing a Western is very hard. You know, you got to worry about the horses, the costumes, locations, the visual effects to keep modern sights out of frame. Um, it's a big task. And in this case, he had a short film that I basically used the first 10 minutes of the 15 minute short film as a guide for the first 15 minutes of the 15, 20 minutes of the script. And then I went off on my own for the rest of the movie. And we, I mean, we got together for lunch and we basically just said, you know, it's going to start out as a comedy and it's going to basically evolve into a regular straight Western. By the end, it's going to feel like a Hollywood Western and we'll hit all the tropes like a barroom fight and this and that. But we didn't get, get into any more specifics than that. He trusted me to go off on my own. Uh, I submitted a draft and he said, OK, well, we loved it, but we want a few little changes. This is what Aaron and I think. I said, who's Aaron? He said, oh, he's the director of photography. I'm like, oh, I'm getting story notes from the director of photography. Well, as it turned out, Aaron directed the movie. I thought Tim was directing it, but Aaron directed it. He was the cinematographer, and he did an amazing job. And it's the first time I've written something for somebody else that's actually been produced. And now I'm spoiled because I think they did such a great job with the film. I'm going to expect that anytime something <laughs> I write gets gets produced. And that, that's yeah. just not the way it happens. Yeah. That's really great. Um, you also, you mentioned some of like what you're doing now and figuring out how to like pay it forward and teach. But I kind of, I'm curious about how you got started. Like, did you have those kinds of positive influences from other people who are in the industry a while when you started or how did you get into this? I am a child of TV. My mother raised me alone. I watched TV all the time because she didn't drive. I watched cartoons. I watched sitcoms. We had a Sunday afternoon movie where I watched every single genre I'm considered a horror guy, but as you can see from both the trailers you showed, I'm, I'm a more well-rounded filmmaker than that. It's just it's easier for me to uh, get horror projects off the ground, and I do love that genre. But I grew up loving movies of all kinds. In middle school, I probably wanted to be a comic artist, and then I thought I wanted to be a stop-motion animator. And then a, a little film came out called Star Wars that just sort of opened my eyes and said, oh, a yeah, writer-director... Yeah can create all these worlds and make this stuff happen. So that's really uh, what solidified it for me. That was summer between sixth grade and seventh grade. So I, I knew quite early on what it is I wanted to do. I only went to film school for a year. I moved to New York City, and I was really uh, enraptured with the midnight movie circuit. There were so many theaters showing midnight movies in New York City that I would get off my movie theater job and take a cab to go watch one. And uh, 
there were 16 millimeter horror films playing at different theaters. Basket Case was running its midnight run. Uh, theater that I showed had the premiere of The Evil Dead and Sam Raimi and Bruce Tappert and uh, Bruce Campbell were all there for that. We also showed The Deadly Spawn. We had The Deadly Spawn in the lobby of our theater. So I was seeing that films were being shot in 16 millimeter and being shown in theaters. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go through the whole film school process of making progressively longer short films. So one year, you, one year was it for me. And it took uh, about two years before I got the chance to work on I Was a Teenage Zombie, which I jumped at. And what did you do on the on that film initially? Like, so green. So, the funny story is that when I moved to New York City, I got a job working in a movie theater, uh, Cinema 1, 2, 3rd Avenue, which was then just Cinema 1 and 2. And on my first night on the job, I didn't know anyone in the city yet. The girl who was training me to take her place had been an actress in a slasher film. And some of the other people on the staff were making fun of her because they didn't think it was ever going to be finished. But I was like, how cool is this? I met somebody who worked in a slasher film growing up in my small town, Fredonia, New York, an hour south of Buffalo. I never met anyone who worked on anything. So I made a note of this film. And at that time, it was called Splatter U. And a year later, I was working at a Times Square theater. And down the block, a movie called Splatter University was played. And I went and saw it. And it was horrible. But I just thought it was cool. And then a year later, while I'm at that same theater, then I'm a manager, a staff member says, oh, I want you to meet the big director. And he wants to see a movie for free. I said, sure, you can let him in, whatever. I mean, this is what you do when you work in movie theaters. Now you have multiplexes, so you don't have to go to visit other theaters. It's all in one theater if you work there. But back then, one theater would admit staff members from another theater to go into their single screen or double screen mm -hmm. theaters. And, and movies weren't playing in as many theaters. There were only a few theaters where you could go see them. And he said, well, I was an assistant director on a movie called Splatter University. I'm getting ready to do my first film. I was a teenage zombie. And right on the spot, I said, well, I saw the film. And, of course, his eyes lit up because when someone other than your aunt or mother has seen your film, you value that person tremendously. And I said, I have to work on it. How can I be involved? And he said, well, it's a full-time job. So, I mean, you can't do this and that at the same time. And I said, oh, I'll quit my job. It doesn't pay anything. I said, oh, I'll quit my job. So I volunteered to be a production manager, and I didn't even know what that was. But by the end of the shoot, I knew what that was. Nice. That's awesome. Wow. I had already written my first script, Slime City, and I had a director of photography and a star, friends of mine, of course. And we were going to do this film very similar to what they ended up doing with Evil Dead, only on a much lower scale. And But I didn't know how to get it done. So I became production manager on this film to learn how to do it. And my director of photography became first assistant camera person to learn how to do it. And my star became one of the supporting actors to learn how to do his thing. And we, we all three of us use it as a training ground for our own film. That's awesome. And I, I always tell people, if you get the chance to work on a film for free, don't, don't raise your note, look down your nose on it, take that opportunity. And when I was doing guns of Eden and I was interviewing different students to work on, I, I met this one kid named Alex and, uh, he worked at a movie theater like me, and he said, I'll quit my job to work on this. I said, oh, great. It's full circle. And <laughs> and he came on, and now he's sort of a circle of people that will always be on, on the crew of anything I do while I'm here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. And speaking of horror, uh, Fangoria has definitely dubbed you as the busiest man in horror. Um, how do you maintain your momentum and creativity across your various projects? 
Well, I was a lot busier when they gave me that quote. So. <laughs> I used to, uh, you know, I used to make a film every two years. I'd like to make one every year. It's just too hard to raise the money. And with everything that's happened with the pandemic and stuff, it's more like three years between films, which is too long for me. But at that point, I was making films. I was working on other films um, that came to town. I was running the film festival and I was writing my books. I was putting out a novel every nine months. So I, I think it was a justified title at that point. Um, you know, things happen. Yeah. Kids, kids come along, kids grow up and start needing rides places and pandemics wreak havoc across the, the planet and stuff slows you down. Uh, I'm hoping, hoping to get back up to that pace. I'm curious about what your approach, how your approach differs from writing, like say a book versus a screenplay. Like what, how do you go about the start of those things? Or why do you think this one might be a book versus a screenplay? You know, cause it's a variety of different mediums. I'm sure the mindset needs to shift. What is your approach there? So I've written quite a few scripts that because I knew they were going to be low budget, there's a goofy campy aspect to them that would not translate into a novel. But there was also a point while I was in New York City, when I, probably when I was between my second film and my third film, my third film took four years for me to finish for a variety of reasons, where I started writing uh, more sophisticated, ambitious scripts that I could never afford to raise the money for. And when I left New York City and moved back to Western New York, specifically to Buffalo, I made a game plan, which was to take some of these more ambitious screenplays, turn them into novels, get a publishing career going and hopefully that would interest Hollywood and acquire them as property that, that, that would be my entry. And, um, three of the scripts became novels. One of them had, I wrote five sequels to one. I wrote two sequels to one was a standalone and uh, the plan sort of worked. Um, I was assistant director on a movie called battle dogs and Craig Sheffer was the star of that. Uh, Craig Sheffer from Nightbreed. Um, uh, Nightbreed and uh, a few other films, horror films, plus Robert Redford's A River Runs Through It, and he was Uncle Jack on One Tree Hill. And I met him on set, and we got to talking. I saw him reading on a Kindle or something. I said, oh, I write. And he said, oh, I'd like to see what, what you have. And he fell in love with one of my novellas, and he optioned it. And we spent quite a few years developing it as a TV series. It was a bikers versus zombies, basically, was, was the, the concept. But obviously, there was such a glut with The Walking Dead and stuff, he didn't have any luck with it. Uh, George Mahalko, who directed uh, the original My Bloody Valentine, he optioned my sixth book series. And he had that going for I don't know, eight years. He was trying to get that made. And again, it didn't happen. So I've had a few brushes with mainstream success that just never came to be, which you know, many filmmakers have, have similar stories. I was never counting on any of those things happening. Um, and so I continued doing my independent films. I will say that the, for me... The novels tend are, are serious. They're not campy. They tend to have themes. They have a lot of action, big set pieces that I would need a big budget to do as a film. Um, and they they're, tend to be a little serialized, too. So they would be ideal for television. Uh, whereas when I do a film, I'm, I'm usually overly conscious about the budget restrictions. And I'm, I'm trying to get past that as a filmmaker. I'm trying to be more ambitious in the stories I tell rather than less ambitious. That's yeah. It, yeah. That's a really great approach because it's like, yeah, you can exercise both sides of the, the coin of it, you know, to really be well balanced as a, as a storyteller. Yeah. I found that as a producer, director, screenwriter, 
I was very, as a producer and director, I was often willing to compromise the script just to get through a day, just to stay on budget, just to make things a little easier. Um, then I did a movie called Killer Rack, a comedy, which a friend of mine wrote. And because I didn't write it, I felt that in order to have my, my personality, to have my stamp on it, I had to maximize everything that was on the page and even try and bring more to it. So I, that, that was an important learning lesson for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think going back to going back to the film festivals and events, um, how important do you think these platforms are for independent filmmakers and what advice do you have for filmmakers who are looking to get into the, get their work recognized on the festival circuit since you and your wife and daughter run festivals. So how, how does that work to give people an understanding? So it's really important. I find because, you know, most of these films are never going to get a theatrical release. A lot of them will just get dumped on Tubi or Amazon and God bless Tubi, but you know, there won't be any promotion behind them. So they're not going to be discovered. Only that niche audience that knows to look for them are going to find them. And one of the main goals for me and my festivals has always been to give the filmmakers nothing else, a first class uh, presentation on a big screen, good sound, promoting it. There's never any guarantee on whatever, what attendance will be. You know that sometimes you have a, a sellout. Most often, if you have 30 people in that audience, you're happy. Um, but it is important. It's important networking. And it's hard to sort of change the culture of the local community and make those people realize there's a lot to be gained from attending uh, these screenings and meeting filmmakers from other states who are traveling around with their films and learning from their experiences. And it was a long battle to, to finally make headway there. And, and we finally did. And it was, it was really rewarding. And I will say, as, as far as my, my wife and daughter's festival, I'm very used to filmmakers coming and at the end of the festival saying, I had a great time. You guys really have respect for the filmmakers. I'm going to tell my friends all about this. It's really a good feeling of satisfaction. And it's never about the money, unfortunately. <laughs> it's never about the revenue. It's, it's really about the event and the, the community sharing. I will say that when my wife and daughter ran their festival last year, um, it was an experience unlike any I've had at a festival, any that I've attended, any that I've thrown, in that the women who came in from out of town, you had the local artists, you had people who, who weren't filmmakers who were there who just wanted to, to support it. So a lot of a feeling of goodwill towards this particular event. The feeling of support in that little theater was tremendous. It was really special. I hope it continues. And it was just very evident that uh, these people, these women, had not had that ex kind of experience before. And that they all realized it was something unique and it was uh, something to experience. Yeah, definitely. The film festivals, even ours down here in Pennsylvania, that Tony and I are a part of, it's definitely we want to drive home that the filmmakers are the stars who come here. Um, and to also, I think we're still kind of climbing the mountain of getting community support mm -hmm. and everyone to come and attend to our festival and to see how important it is for the for supporting independent filmmakers and artists in that way. I don't know if Tony has anything to add to that. Yeah. yeah, I think even like last year was a big step of more filmmakers came, even the local ones, but also like Tri-State. We consider 
the tri-state is like a regional section. So like people from New York, Maryland, and you know, various parts of Virginia, and so, like they came and that interaction with each other and then the interaction of like the audience directly with those filmmakers was pretty great. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to see. Seeing visiting filmmakers go out to dinner together, it's a great feeling. And then they come and they watch local films and the local filmmakers, uh, like sometimes I'll have a, a local filmmakers maybe take some visitors to Niagara Falls, which is nearby. And they just, number one, they appreciate the effort, but number two, the local filmmaker gets a lot out of it that way. And that's how you build. It's a long process. And, you know, I had, uh, I had one partner who stopped after two years cause he had another business and it's just so time consuming as you know, and another partner who for 10 years, we, we, ran a really good show. He formed a publishing company and there comes a point where you can't keep doing this if film isn't your life. And for both of those, it was sort of a hobby. It wasn't their life like it is for me. So I keep going. I reinvent the wheel and keep going. That's, do, you, uh, yeah, do you think there is any like particular, I don't know if it's like a block or film or anything that you have at your festival that really draws people to come to it in particular? Yeah, so we have, um, when a bigger film comes to town and a lot of locals work on it, you get a lot of actors, you get a lot of extras, crew people work on it. When it becomes a big project that a lot of people work on, that's a film that I want because I know I can sell out one, maybe two shows with it. They're few and far between. We have a bigger festival in town called Buffalo International Film Festival. That's like an Oscar qualifier, and they're a nonprofit, so they get all sorts of advertising money. So it really is sort of a, a, a Davy Goliath type thing, although we're not, you know, we're different audiences, so it's not like we're competitors that way. But in terms of the local features, more often than not, they'll go with them. Um, but those are the films that do the best for us. And when I have local films, I tend to put a lot of them in a block together and that guarantees that there'll be people there. And, and those are some of the, the best nights too, where I see films from filmmakers who I haven't met yet because they're students at another college or something. I, I'm somebody who, because I really, I kind of got our film industry off the ground. I was one of a handful of people that was in on ground zero when we started making features here and just kind of, we all kept working together on different films that came in and supporting each other. Um, I knew anybody for a long time. There was a brief period where people were coming out of film school and they didn't have to leave. They could stay right here and get jobs. And all of a sudden there were all these crew people around that I didn't know, which was, was a very strange experience. So when we do the local blocks and I get to meet some new filmmakers, that that's always a good feeling for me. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what we're trying to do like with Luce and Tony and myself and people here. We have a good amount of filmmakers, independent filmmakers here in the Scranton region, but it seems like they fly under the radar a little bit. I mean, with Pennsylvania in particular, you see a lot of productions do come into Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, but you don't see any anything come outside of that. So we're trying to get more up into the Northeast region. That's kind of what our goal is. So it's kind of interesting to see you were trying to do the same thing up in Buffalo. It's a very common, you know, we all, as film festival directors and programmers, we all face the same challenges, yeah. the same disappointments. And there's a, let's face it, there's a certain amount of apathy among the local filmmakers, even if their film isn't showing. So trying to get them to support each other's films, that's a big step forward. Once people say, 
I tell them, you know, even if you just come watch one film the whole festival, please just make that effort. And yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, I used to pull my hair out about it, and then I stopped, and things just started improving on their own, which is good. It's just a matter of putting in the work, and eventually it's going to pay off. Yeah, sometimes it is that, like, over time it will happen. It's just patience to get there, you know. And the thing about an annual event is it's over, and then you have to wait a whole other year. My, my partner and I, my, my former partner, we used to, the last night of the festival, we'd run through all of our plans for the next year. And six months later, nothing had happened because we had our own routine. We knew when we had to start getting stuff done. And uh, only in increments were we making some of the progress that we wanted to. Yeah. It seems like with, um, it seems like collaboration is like a recurring theme, I think for all of us to collaborate with each other and support each other. So how do you approach collaboration? What do you think makes us a, a successful creative partnership? So uh, most of my own films, I'm, I'm usually the writer, producer and director. So there isn't that type of collaboration, but my wife is a co-producer and for the first six, seven films I did, I had a different DP every time, not by choice. Uh, two of them died, you know, people move away, whatever. Um, the last two projects, the, well, the one I'm doing now and, and the last one, I had the same cinematographer who does my visual effects. So that's actually a creative collaboration. Um, I think it comes really just from trust, trusting the other person. Like I'll have specific ideas I want to do, but he's a creative person, so he'll go off and do things his own way, and then he'll show them to me. And I have to check my ego and admit that what he came up with is better. So there's a trust factor involved there. Yeah. I've only directed one movie that was written by someone else. It's a good friend of mine who's acted in some of my films, and it was just a hilarious script. It, it was a script that was submitted to my festival. I had a guest judge. They chose that script, so I hadn't even read it six months later until he brought it up in conversation I was like all right let me look at this thing and it was hilarious and i said i have to direct this i took him out for coffee and i said i don't care what's going on i have to make this my next film and we had a genuine collaborative uh relationship whereas i would say look uh there's a play out there called i love you you're perfect now change i love your script it's perfect but these are the changes i want and most mostly i got my way um but he knew that I was respecting his work and trying to bring the best out of it. And that, that's really what it comes out of. Everyone's got to want to make the best film possible. Sometimes we disagree on what the way is to do it, to yeah, surround yeah. yourself with people that you can communicate with and that you will listen to. And it makes for a lot less headaches and a lot less stress. So, I think some of that comes with age. You know, I, I don't think young people are, you know, they're, they're all passionate and they don't necessarily know how to channel the passion sometimes. And sometimes it becomes an obstacle. Um, but controlling a situation and, and straightening out differences is just something that comes with maturity. Yeah, you need to have that mutual like uh, respect and kind of slight yeah. humility, it seems. And as you go along, you realize that. Also, it's just you enjoy the process more, I feel like, if you're doing that. Because you're not Absolutely. coming in. Yeah. I, I've done a lot of films with Chris Ray, who is uh, Fred Olin Ray's son. And he's very fond of saying, you know, if it's not fun, why, why do it? Yeah. So. That's Look, now kind of seeing, talking about everything, how you started and what you're working on now and everything. Looking forward to the, the future. You said you're kind of in this different phase of your career now. And you're teaching, you're doing a lot of things. What do you see, like, coming up? What are your aspirations? 
for the next this phase of your life, you know, this phase of your career? And are so there I any have, particular yeah. projects or genres you want to get into? I have a, a Cabin in the Woods werewolf movie that I wanted to do like six years ago. Another film came along called Widow's Point. The author showed me his book and said, do you think this would make a good movie? I said, oh, yeah. So we worked together on that. And then I was going to do this werewolf movie. And then the pandemic happened. Um, and a movie with seven characters in a cabin is not a good movie to do during a, a pandemic where people have to wear masks. It, was, it just wasn't possible. So I had to kind of wait for that to come around. And that's the one that we just shot a proof of concept for. I was looking for financing. It hasn't happened. So I'm going to crowdfund it again. It's the only way I know how to get the thing made. Um, I'm going to shoot that in October. The other thing that I'm working on is um, along the mentoring phase is I have formed a nonprofit organization called Cinema Arts Collaborative, which is specifically going to be, uh, it's going to hold events uh, like a film expo, other uh, workshop type things where when I conceived it, the idea was to make it um, something that would bring women and minorities into our film community. But so many people from the film community have left that really we need to replenish our ranks all around. So I don't even need to focus, uh, narrow my focus that way. It can be, be much broader. And that's been formed and we're in the process of building the website and we'll start announcing events soon. Oh, wow. I think that is something that I will build up, you know, over the next several years. And when I'm when I'm no longer able to direct, I can uh, focus solely on that. Wow, that's incredible. We'd love to hear about that when it gets off the ground. Uh, yeah, I, I've been working on it for a year and I was fortunate to have a, a friend who uh, financed the legal fees. You can do those legal all that legal work yourself, but it's mind boggling to process all the legalese and regulations and once you're a nonprofit so that people are getting a tax write-off if they donate money um there's all sorts of rules you have to follow so he was able to foot the bill so that we could have a really good lawyer draw up all the paperwork and it took a while to come together but we're really about ready to launch now um i think we're getting close to like one hour so maybe we can start wrapping up i mean you can do the honors of asking a final question uh yes guest host guest host uh you're not on all the time yeah, yeah. yeah exactly okay sounds good so yeah our, our final question we usually wrap up with is uh what's the best advice you can give to aspiring filmmakers you gave a lot of advice throughout this whole thing what's the one that you think is like in a nutshell to, to, to send out to the world it hasn't changed for 20 years. And that is when you have formed your team, you've got your writer, your director, your producer, or maybe you're doing two of those things or three of those things, but when you have your key personnel involved, it is so important to have written agreements. They don't have to be complicated legal documents. They can be very simple letters of agreement where you outline what everybody's responsibilities are and who's in charge of what if relationships fray so that a project doesn't get put on hold. I've seen a lot of uh, friendships break up over independent films that never go anywhere. You know, people get a little deluded in what the financial possibilities are of a film, what the career possibilities of, of a film are. And once you have egos and insecurities, friendships just fray and it's not worth it. It really isn't. And if you just have everything laid out in black and white, most of these problems can be resolved. And it's important to have these done really 
if you are crowdfunding a feature, do your agreements before or during the crowdfunding, but definitely once pre-production starts, because you don't want to get through production of a film and suddenly there's all these disagreements about editing and how you're going to finish it. And all these actors and all these crew people have donated their valuable time or they've worked for very low rates. Usually they've donated their time, you know, yeah. and uh, what do they get out of if you don't finish the film? And what do you get out of it if you don't finish the film? So that's so important to have right from the beginning. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, with and speaking of like waiting in the pandemic, I mean, I had a script I waited on for like three years. I wrote it before the pandemic and wanted to start filming. And then the pandemic happens. And mine takes place all in a basement that's very close, tight quarters. So it really wasn't doable during the pandemic. And they finally filmed it last August. So that was, that was great. And I do agree with agreements. It's good to have those. Even if you have uh, friends working on your film, it's good to make sure because you wouldn't want to ever ruin a friendship over a film. Even right. if everyone's volunteering their time, you want to take care of everybody. It's, it's also, it's letting everyone know that you're, you have the right intentions and that you're looking out for the project by crossing, you know, by dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Yeah, yeah. just being fully transparent about it. That's, that's right. really, really great advice. And that's not something that we've heard a lot in, in previous episodes. So it's wonderful that there's like, with each person, you have these different takes on what, what to take away from this episode. And that's a good one. That's a really great one. So, but Thank you so much for being so generous for your time, Greg. We really appreciate it for being on this episode. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're excited for what, what we chatted about and hopefully people will listen to this, you know, on re like when they can or, you know, as a podcast, cause it goes out as a podcast, but there's a lot of great nuggets in here. Um, That's the great thing about the internet over time. All of a sudden those views are there. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Thank you for having me on uh, after, after I missed uh, my previous chance. Uh, I'm glad I got the time to myself, but uh, yeah. it was good to be on the show. No, that ended up being really no, fantastic. Yeah, it's no problem, Greg. We're glad to have you on. And I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i close it out. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. There's Grand Talks with Greg Lamberson. We have wonderful events coming up, so be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date. And subscribe to our YouTube channel to see any of our previous talks. They all live on our YouTube channel. And we do have a podcast where you can listen to the audio of our talks as well. Um, if You can message us directly on our social media if you would like to be on the show. Uh, we would love to share your journey with others. The Independent Film Creative Club is for you. It's geared to help filmmakers reach their potential and becoming successful creative artists. And be sure to visit our website, ourcreativehub.com, and join our directory. And it's free to sign up. Um, we'll chat a bit after Greg if you want to hang around, but we'll show the trailers again and I hope everyone has a great night. Good night. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks. And thank you once again for joining us for another episode of Scranton Talk Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook to be sure to stay up to date on all that we have going on with the Independent Film Creative Hub. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see any of our live talks. Uh, be sure to check out our website, ourcreativehub.com, and sign up for our directory. It's free for you, and we're here to help you in all your creative journeys. And that's a wrap. See you soon. Mm -hmm.